Hello and welcome to Relationship Talk, the podcast hosted by Teresha Young, Relationship Master Coach. Now, each episode, we bring you an inspiring guest to help you find a deeper understanding of yourself, to set yourself up for dating, relationship, self-love and self-empowerment success. So enjoy, take notes and get ready to apply all key messages you learn today. Hello and welcome to Real Relationship Talk, the podcast hosted by yours truly, Teresha Young, Relationship Master Coach, where we have open, non-judgmental, heart-to-heart conversations about love, self-love, self-care, dating and relationships. And for this week's episode, I am being joined by the lovely Carrie Curran. How are you doing, Carrie? I'm doing wonderful, Teresha. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. And I'm just going to share with the listeners a bit more about who you are and what you do. So Carrie is a licensed psychotherapist practicing in the past 25 years and is also a marriage coach and relationship expert. She works in the online space, helping women and couples around the world improve their marriages and create a love that lasts. Welcome again to the show, Carrie. And for everybody who is listening, it would be great if you could share with us what led you, some of the key highlights that led you to doing what you do now. Yeah, so that's such a great question. So I I have a little bit of a circuitous route with that. So I started my career in psychotherapy, working with children and their parents, and uh, really found myself drawn to working with the couple, the parents, mm-hmm. and spent a lot of years doing work with parents and their children until I had my own child in 2009. And then I decided I just didn't want to work with kids anymore. I wanted to sort of save my child exposure for my home life and really keep it separate. And at at that point around 2010, I started pretty much exclusively focusing on couples and I'm part of my own couple. I'm married 19 years. Uh, and I, in 2020, right after COVID, I transitioned my practice online, my psychotherapy practice, and then I expanded into, uh, online coaching. And so as a way to really have more reach, have more flexibility and be able to help couples in just different, more holistic ways beyond just straight talk therapy. Wow. That word holistic is fantastic. And just and I've noticed that you said that you you want couples or you help couples to go from I want a divorce to I didn't know I could love this deeply. And in your extensive experience, I mean, look, past 25 years, what are some of the most common challenges you would say that couples face in maintaining a healthy and happy relationship? Yeah, so... You know, I just, so let me just address that. I want a divorce to, you know, I think I could love this deeply. So I find that a lot of couples when they don't know what to do and they feel really stuck and trapped, Mm -hmm. their default position is, well, I guess we should just get a divorce because this isn't working. And so, so it's not that, that a couple who's meant to get a divorce is going to then somehow fall back in love again and be together, but it's really for the couples. And there's a lot of them out there who have this experience of years of feeling disconnected 
years of feeling like they're just roommates or teammates or business partners. Yeah. Uh, those are the things that mostly bring couples into therapy. Mm-hmm. And when I ask a couple, so why now? Like what, yeah. what prompted now? Nine out of 10 couples will say, oh, this is long overdue. We should have done this years ago. So many couples wait. And at that point, what happens is, is they're coming with a huge disconnect, a huge gap. So that's, I would say that's the main factor that brings couples into the work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Affairs are really common. Now, of course, affairs, as I see them, they are a byproduct of some other fundamental issue in the marriage, which probably goes back to disconnection. And when we see disconnection, we see a lack of communication. So there's a lot of really commonly occurring dynamics in couples that if left unattended to, like in and of themselves, they're, okay, I can understand that. But if left unattended to, they really contribute to the downfall of the marriage. Mm. So they're coming to you in quite a reactive position, actually. Like they are reacting. It's been time. It's been brewing and now it's got to boiling point and now it's something that we need to do it's almost like a volcano that has erupted that's what I'm seeing it's like now what do we do with this lava you know what do we do with all of this so in order to mitigate the stage of waiting too long in your experience what can couples do in order to help have a marriage that lasts now what kind of proactive activities can a couple do in order to not get to that boiling point such a good question so so there's what ha- what I find happens is it's usually when couples are transitioning from one life stage to another that they that it's pretty easy to get off track. So life stage. So it might be um, you're having kids, you're you you're having babies and that creates a redirection of your energy and focus naturally. Or uh, there's a career change and that takes up a lot of bandwidth because there's a steep learning curve when you're switching careers or switching jobs or something. So I often find that these things are triggered um, by some life stage and then couples, they don't then recalibrate to get back to sort of the baseline of pre transition. So some of the things that couples can do in order to mitigate that is have some important rituals in place so that no matter how busy things are or how stressful life gets, you have these foundational rituals that keep anchoring you back in your relationship. So some of the things that I say to couples are, um, I I encourage couples to have two different kinds of check-ins daily. At least one is I would say every day and the other one would be as needed. So one would be sort of a daily mindset check, like just like really, where are you? Like, where's your mind at? Like really, where is it? Because I can't tell you how many couples go months without checking in with their partner. And then they find themselves blindsided by something their partner's been worried about. Well, it's because we haven't checked in with each other. Uh, So that's, that's one very basic thing. The other daily would be what I call stress less convos. And so it's really sort of, setting the timer for five minutes, holding space for your partner so that they can just download the stress or the events of the day that they need to get off their chest. And 
There's no, there's no action step to take there. There's no advice to be given. It's really the beauty of being in a relationship where you get to have someone hold space for you and then you, and then you can move forward. So to me, those are two very basic daily activities couples can do. And I remember when we had our daughter, so now I work out of the home, in the home rather, but when, when we had our daughter, both my husband and I worked outside of the home and we still carved out time for ourselves. We put our daughter to bed when she went to bed, let's say 730. Uh, we always carved out time for ourselves. And so we never really gave that up. Um, even when it was difficult because we were tired or what have you, it was something that we really prioritized, just knowing what can happen when we're going through a transition state in life. Yeah. So those are two daily things. And then two weekly things I encourage all couples to do is have uh, two dates. One's a business date and one's a personal date. Okay. The business date is to talk about just really the business. Like how's the household running? What's going on with the kids? Is there anything we need to pay attention to? What's the schedule look like? planning, logistics, things like that. And you really sort of contain it to that date because what happens is oftentimes couples can have that bleed over into the rest of their relationship. And that's all they talk about is business, yes. right? Uh, and then the other date is the personal date. That's an opportunity to really bond and connect. And there's no no talk about kids because what I find is couples will say, we go on a date and all we talk about is the kids. Yeah. So the bonding date is it's no kid talk. It's no business talk. It's just fun. It's light. It's levity. So those are four easy things, yeah. really easy things that most couples I find can find a way to incorporate at least two of those. Yeah, they are fantastic things to be able to incorporate into your daily and your weekly schedule. I would imagine if there's been such a huge disconnect between couples, even though it might appear to be quite easy, do you find that there's still some objections that you receive to start in those practices and those rituals at all from any couples? Yeah. So depending upon where the level of disconnect is. So I'm thinking about those four as uh, first off mitigating factors. When, when we know that life is going to get really busy, like it's really important that we make sure we keep certain rituals in place yeah. in order to anchor our relationship. Now, let's just say a couple has been, has been feeling a disconnection for a year or two years doing those things is really probably not going to be enough to move the needle because mm -hmm. there's a foundational element of a connection that would need to be present in order to bring them together on any four of those examples yeah. that would have them benefit from the purpose of those four action steps. Mm -hmm. So yes, when a couple is pretty disconnected, there's a little bit more that I would say that needs to happen in order to like re-engage mm. and you spoke about communication and I would also imagine that part of that re-engagement is going to be some communication strategies and techniques so what type of communication strategies and techniques can a couple do in order to bring back that closeness and that connection mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that I have couples do, so I would say sort of one of the first steps that I have couples do is something that I call the marital blueprint. And it's basically getting a sense of the inner landscape of your partner's mind, because the more you know your partner's inner world, 
the more equipped you are to be able to converse with them in a way that you know it's going to land, to be able to address what you know needs to be addressed because you know what triggers them, you know what they long for, you know what they're missing. So the way I set couples up with this, and couples can do this on their own, it's basically open-ended questions of things like, like, what's keeping you up at night? What do you long for that you don't have right now? What did you want to be as an adult when you were a child? What scares you the most? It is, these are intimacy connecting kinds of questions. And so when I start working with a couple, most of them haven't done that because we don't know to do that. These are some examples of questions that people ask when they're dating. Yeah. But they never revisit it. So the idea of the blueprint is that you're updating it because Mm. gosh, I mean, we're married 20 years or 19 years and we're, you know, we're kind of different people than we were 19 years ago. Our goals are different. And so we want to update that. So when I think of communication, of course, beyond the I statements and not using you statements and active listening and reflection and validation, which every, most people sort of know about those things. We really want to have a foundation of a knowing each other. And when we have that bridge between us, where there is a knowing of each other's inner world, it actually makes those other elements of communication, I statements, reflective and active listening, it makes those have more meaning. Otherwise, they lack context. It's like, you know, we could be in a big fight and have no connection and I could use an I statement Mm. and it would fall on deaf ears though. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're missing a whole other foundational element. So what I like to really do with couples is after I assess where they are and meet them where they are is then really start building the foundational elements because it makes all of the surface level strategies and interactions flow very swiftly. Yeah. And the landscape of marriage has changed over the years quite significantly, I would say. And there's so many different concepts out there where people, there's a concept of it's almost it's being together but living apart. No, they're still married. And I, I believe that that's what, at the time of recording, Jada Pinkett and Will Smith are currently uh-huh. doing. They are together, but living apart. This is what they may be saying or something along those lines. So what is your your take on how to navigate marriage during what has, in the modern world, basically? <laughs> right. Yeah. So in a modern world, the other thing we see is that we oftentimes have two uh, partners working, right? Career minded, right? So there was a time where more women stayed at home and more women are actually not, if they have a career that they really love, they're not really wanting to give that up. So, so in a modern world where there's a lot of busyness, there's a lot of different ways that couples can live and arrange their relationship. Mm -hmm. To me, I think everything is up for negotiation. And so when I say I meet a couple where they are, it's really, I don't have a particular position on how a marriage should look. It's basically, you know, what, what is, what is going to work for each of you? And if it doesn't work for one of you, then it can't work for both of you. And that's really where the negotiation comes in. Mm. And so I really help couples decide on what they want their marriage to look like. What do they want their day-to-day to look like? What are their shared goals for today and their shared vision for the future? And we really want to align those because ultimately 
in addition to the bond that you have, that's the glue that sustains the couple yeah. through the lifetime. Mm. Yeah. And it's that sustaining, which can be quite challenging, as you said, you know, in a world where two people are working technically quite busy, it's actually being very disciplined and very committed, very committed to what you want to achieve, the outcome of the relationships. Because when you're saying we're not the same people that we mm-hmm. were um, you know, 10 years ago, even yesterday, you know, we're changing as people. So in terms of personal growth, then. How can a couple strike the balance between individuality Uh and actually being together? Yeah, that's such a great question. I have a lovely sort of analogy I think about with that. Let me say one thing about commitment. So so commitment is a choice. Mm -hmm. And couples, if they want to be together, they need to make the choice that they are committed to doing daily what it requires to be in a relationship. And I think that couples don't always realize that that is a choice that they get to make. And when they make that choice, a a lot of the relationship will unfold from there. But when they choose not to be committed and they're on the fence where they're one foot in, one foot out, the relationship will unfold accordingly. So I always like to remind people that that commitment really is a choice for people. Um, So let's think about the independence Mm -hmm. and the dependence. So so I look at this on a continuum. At one end of the continuum is complete dependence. At the other end of the continuum is complete independence. Now, if you bring together two people who are wildly independent, what you see is two two people who are living a parallel life. They're living both very independently. If you bring together two people who are both very strong on the dependency side, what you end up seeing is codependent dynamics. They they can't really function without each other. So what's so important is that we have a blend of meeting our needs for independence and meeting our dependency needs. And a lot of people reject dependency needs unless you have a personality that's drawn toward dependence. So let's just excluding them. Let's just talk about the average person, the average person, and particularly the self-sufficient person really rejects dependency. Now there are, we all have dependency needs now, whether we allow ourselves to acknowledge them or not, but it is very healthy and very okay to depend on a partner who is trustworthy, who is reliable, who is dependable. And so we also want to be able to balance that with meeting our needs for independence, which is fulfilling our personal goals, uh, our personal development, our psychological growth and all of that. So I really see that on a continuum as as striking whatever balance works for that couple to really blend our needs for independence and our dependency needs. Yeah. And for those people, because you have the independence and needs and needs for dependence, how can you strike the difference between being needy, the neediness, and actually having needs? Because some people can get confused as to, am I being needy or is this actually just a core basic human need of mine? Yeah, so that is a tricky question for most people to answer. And my position on that, generally speaking, is... If I have a relational need, mm-hmm. then it is 
totally okay for me to ask for that to be met in my relationship. And what we find oftentimes, if we, if we just sort of like tap into attachment styles, yeah. what we find with, with someone who has more of an anxious attachment style, they will question that very thing. They will say, and I sit with clients and they say like, am I asking for too much? Yeah. How do I know if this is too much? And I say, your needs are your needs. Uh-huh. If they're too much for your partner, then we either need to recalibrate or that's not the right partner for you, but your needs are your needs. Mm. And that's really how I think about it. Oftentimes people who have an anxious attachment style yeah. will partner up with someone who has an avoidant attachment style, which really exacerbates this feeling of, oh, I think I'm being too needy because the avoidant person avoids neediness and connection. And so it's really kind of a recipe for disaster is a strong word, but it's a recipe to like really start to question that. So I, my position really is if when we have a relational need, it is so appropriate to ask our partner to meet that relational need for us. Yeah. And it's putting through that request in the way and which you were saying before we can use those I statements, but it's the context now in terms of what the need is and also how it makes you feel you know by having that need met and having that need fulfilled and why it's important to you because you alluded to values and knowing what your values are and if your values are aligned with your partner that can in my view as well and it really strengthen the bonds that you have between people and talking about bonds actually what would you say are some of the things that a couple can do in order to increase their level of closeness and intimacy as well? Because you may be finding in your practice that people come to say there's a lack of intimacy or closeness. So what can couples do in order to increase that? Mm-hmm. So if we just if we take just one step back and talk about the need. So what yeah. happens when we express a need and the need gets met? And that cycle happens repetitively. That's how we build trust. Mm. And so that's really how trust starts in the beginning of life. Uh, We have a need, our primary caregiver meets it. We feel comforted. And then we start to trust the predictability. So when you have a couple who uh, they're not getting their needs met and they're starting to grow distant because they're feeling really dejected about that. And then we see a lack of intimacy, physical intimacy, sexual intimacy. And the longer that goes on, the harder it is for couples to regroup and resume. They start to feel really awkward. So when I'm seeing a couple and they haven't had sex in over a year, uh, we work our way up to scheduling it. And scheduling it without the pressure. And I really work with that because then you, you add another layer of anxiety to it Yeah, because oftentimes it will, after that long, it will not happen organically because there's an awkwardness in approaching each other, even though you know each other for so (laughs) long, there is this awkwardness in the bedroom. And so I really work with couples to like start to have the conversation. What do you miss about that? Like what's happened? Why has it been so long? What, how would you, how would you like to resume your sex life? And let's think about that. Let's sort of find a time, particularly if they have kids, let's find a time when you can start to reconnect. And for many couples, it might be scheduling a time to start to have 
physical intimacy without actual intercourse, but it's really just how do you start introducing that back into your relationship to reduce that like discomfort that you have? Because there can be a real estrangement in couples when you've been disconnected emotionally and physically for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's taking those gentle steps and even the notion of shedding it sounds, it sounds very official. It sounds very formal. (laughs) (laughs) You you send them an email and they put tentative in it. (laughs) Let me think about that. Um, But yes, no, I can completely see how that would add value to it because I guess mindset wise, it's a commitment. You both have made a choice. You're committed to that. And it's in it's in the diary to do it around mm-hmm. it. So I can see taking that gradual step, how that could be really helpful for a couple. You spoke about the holistic approach that you take. What does that look like? Yeah. So, okay. So in traditional talk couples therapy, a couple comes in once a week, you speak for 45 or 60 minutes and then they leave. And that's it. And then they come back the next week, 45 minutes, and then they leave. So the way I've really structured my work with couples now is we, we have our session. They have lots of action steps to do in between. And we are really looking at their lifestyle. We're looking at their inner world. We're looking at the typical couples things, like how they communicate And I'm also giving them very specific action steps to work on in between sessions. And we are, we, they are, they are completing that they're sending it back to me. And then I give them the next step so that they're generating momentum all the time, because what happens for most couples, and it's one of a handful of reasons why you'll hear people say, oh, we tried couples therapy. It didn't work. What happens for a lot of couples is they'll go to that session. They'll save everything for that session, they'll unload for 45 or 60 minutes and then they leave and they do nothing until the next session. And then they unload and then they say, this isn't working. All we do is come here and complain. Yeah. (laughs) So, and we don't really feel like this is helping and we don't want to come back. Well, I wouldn't want to come back either if all I was doing was like complaining and rehashing. Right. Yeah. Um, so I really work with couples to like have it be in smaller doses. They're doing work daily they have work to do daily because the reality is is this has to be an immersive experience if we're going to have a a major paradigm shift in how your couple's been operating it really has to be an immersive experience and it can't happen 45 minutes a week it's got to be a daily thing Mm. so when i say holistic i'm really looking at the whole couple i'm looking at all aspects and there's work happening even when we're not meeting and they're being guided by me every step of the way, as opposed to the traditional couples therapy model, which was how I used to practice. Yeah. And a lot of people don't necessarily want to put in the quote unquote work. They say mm. it's, it didn't, you shouldn't have to put in the work. And they're not seeing it as something that actually on a daily basis it is. Maybe the energy around the word work doesn't sit with some people, but in actual fact, it is what it is. <laughs> you know, yep. it, it is work. And just the way that you would pull yourself into your career or whatever aspect it is, you need to be doing that quote unquote work in order to keep that that connection going and thriving. Now, in your practice, what you're saying is, so what about the dynamics where one person seems to be putting in more of the work than the other? You must come across that too. Yeah, a lot. So it either happens that that one person doesn't want to do start the work 
Uh, and in that case, the other person starts by themselves, or it happens that one person is dragging the other to the work and that person's there, their body's there, but they're not really doing the work. So the way I handle that is I really try to understand what's blocking that person from doing the work. Almost always it's their anxiety about sitting with a stranger talking about the most private aspect of their life. And they feel very anxious and they feel very uncomfortable and and it comes across as disinterested or defensive. And for me, I read that as self-protection. And once I can really start to engage that person and speak to the fear, they can really soften. And the work has to be paced at the slowest person's movement. So if partner A is gung-ho, we are full throttle, give me, you know, three hours of homework. And partner B is like, I don't know. We are only moving as fast as partner B. And I'm very clear about the expectations with couples on that. And so that happens a lot. Very rarely are both partners at the same place at the same time. Yeah. Which means that the process could be something that is a process. It moves, but it might not be a quick progress or process. (laughs) in terms of how that operates so do you find that there's ever signs or merit in you working with the individual so rather than doing a couple session but you say well today is a session for you I mean do you work in that angle as well I do so I blend it so depending upon when I meet with a couple I'm assessing really what their level of needs are and uh I'm I'm either we're, we're either only doing couples work because let's say they're both in individual work or if they're not an individual work, and I really assess that they have some of their own work that they need to do, then we blend it. And I do a blend of solo sessions and joint sessions. And what happens is, is the solo sessions are focused on the part of the self that they are bringing to the relationship that is uh, that that they really want to start to make shifts in because it's impacting the relationship in a way that they don't want it to impact. So look, we all have baggage, right? We all are shaped by our early experiences, our young adult experiences, and we can't separate ourselves from that. So there are, I would say, at least 50% of the time where I'm blending solo work with joint work when I'm seeing a couple. Okay, so there is the opportunity to do that. I suppose that could be sometimes when a couple might actually feel more comfortable just speaking with you on a one-to-one basis about something, rather than saying it in front of the partner because they're not sure how the partner's going to respond or they don't want to hurt the partner's feelings or something like that. So it's great to know that you have that blended technique. Now, in terms of mindset, then Carrie, um, for is there any mindset work that a person can do on an individual basis that can help them in that um, dynamic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can I just say one other thing about what you just said in terms of uh, more comfortable speaking? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the understanding in couples work is that what you share solo goes back into the couple. Mm -hmm. Now, The way I'm really useful for a client as part of a couple in that way is that they don't know how to say something to their partner. Mm -hmm. And so they then get to utilize me in the set. I don't bring it up, but I create the space 
And then it reduces their anxiety. And now they have someone to help facilitate a discussion that they were really too anxious to bring up. So, so that can be really helpful because look, it's really hard to have hard conversations, even with someone we know well. So I just wanted to sort of add that. Um, so mindset. Okay. So, uh, you know, the first thing I want to say is that it's a myth to think that marriage isn't work. And if it's meant to be, it wouldn't take work. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, I've, I've had so many couples say, look, this, this month, this is, this is a lot of work and it shouldn't be this hard. And if it's this hard, is that, does that mean that we are not meant to be? And, and, and that, th- that in no way is indicative that this couple is not meant to be. And I think that that's sort of the first mindset shift is that when you decide to commit, like to me, the biggest commitment we make in our life is the person we're going to spend our life with. Like, that's a really big move, right? Like I'm (laughs) agreeing to like, to like create a life with this person who is completely separate and different from me. And now we're going to just blend Mm. our life together. Like it is a really, it's, it's, of course, people could get divorced, right? So that's also possible. Uh, but when I compare that to um, choosing a career, that's really important. But people change careers all the time, right? Yes. That's it's pretty easy to change a career. It's a lot more agonizing, actually, to to change a marriage. So it is the biggest commitment, and naturally, it is really going to take a lot of ongoing work. And the other mindset shift I say to couples is that great marriages are not built with these grand gestures like buying big gifts or taking big trips once a year or what have you. It is built in the in-between moments. It is the small daily actions of attuning to each other, attending to each other. You smile at your partner. They smile back at you. You tell your partner a joke. And even though they've heard it 20 times, they laugh at you, <laughs> right? So yeah. that's really where the connection is built. And I think, and, and myself included, I think that most people, when they get into a marriage, they really, there's no handbook. We don't really know what to expect and how to be. And we're facing situations we've never faced before. And it's like, well, I I don't, is this normal? Is this typical? I don't know what to do here. And so the other, the, the third mindset piece I would say is that it's really normal to feel ill-equipped and unprepared and, and confused about like, what does this mean? And what should I do? Mm, Yeah. There are two really great ways to think about the mindset shift there. And when you think about the wedding vows that people will say, people will say, I'm in it. I'm in it because really I said to death do us part. And I will stay in it even if it is an unhealthy or unhappy situation that I'm in. Now, do you find that in the work that you do, sometimes there is that case where it is just it is what it is and they have grown apart and it's that level of acceptance and then if so you know how do people then separate how do they separate in a healthy way yeah so if I may use a personal example of that so I was married and divorced in my 20s before my current husband and uh we So our 20s is our most transformational decade. So from 20 to 30, we are, we are the most different. Now, you know, 30 to 40, we change, 40 to 50, we change, but, but not like 20 to 30. So we're, we're really becoming an adult from 20 to 30. And when you are with someone 
that you choose at a particular point in time, who you then find that some years later, you chose them for reasons that were appropriate at that time. But for whatever reason, the two of you didn't grow together. So there's two options. We either grow together or we grow apart. And a couple has to actively intentionally choose to grow together. Now, when when I met my first husband, I was 18. I married him at 24. So we were we there was really no big responsibility or reality of life set again. But as I sort of moved through my own personal development and continued my university studies and then got into my career, uh, he was very comfortable just being the same person that he was when we first met. And I couldn't have known that before. And so, so what, what came to be was that we the reasons why we got together no longer applied and the gap was too big to bridge largely because he was not interested in growing with me. And so couples, the default really for couples is to grow apart because we're two separate individuals, right? So we we are growing and we're growing separately. There has to be a really strong intentional act to agree to grow together. And that doesn't mean doing everything together, but it does mean that we're both invested in our personal growth and our couple growth. So what happens then for, and and that can happen, look, that for me, that was, we were together a total of nine years, but married for three, but this happens to couples after 15 years and 20 years. And I think that for many couples and when you have kids, it's a different, it's a different, we didn't have kids. So it's a different ball game because you have the guilt of the responsibility of your children. And I think that that makes it really hard for partners and sometimes part. And I will say to couples, I'm a, I'm sort of a real talk practitioner. And I will say to couples, look, are you only staying for the kids? Yeah. Because if that's the only reason, if that's your only motivator, it's really not going to be sustainable. So we either need to find other motivators or we need to talk about how you can very amicably start to create some kind of separation. And either way is okay with me, but you know, I, I think that, that those are hard conversations for couples to face, especially when there's kids involved. Yeah. And it's those kind of decisions to reflect upon that won't necessarily be overnight. It's through, actually working through that process to know what are your key motivators and how you can tap into that and I think that's it gives people a peace of mind as well perhaps that you've done if you've exhausted all of your options and you feel that this is the way forward then that is how do you separate amicably and in a way that leaves everybody's dignity and integrity intact at the same time especially if there are children there too Mm -hmm. We now just think back to the start of the conversation. You mentioned affairs as well. And this notion of, I guess, infidelity that could show up in, in relationships, and especially in the modern world. Would you say that there are other than other like sexual infidelity as well, that there are other forms of infidelity that show up when you are working with couples? Yeah. So definitely having an emotional you know, people call it an emotional affair. So the way I find this happening is, is people will meet someone at work and they become really close with them of the opposite sex and they uh, develop a very deep friendship. 
and maybe they go out to lunch together a lot. And then, you know, they're talking about personal things and then they start talking about their marriage. Uh, it never goes to um, anything physical necessarily, but, but when one is utilizing someone to get their relational, their primary relational needs outside of their marriage, that takes away from the marriage. So we can say that about a friendship, right? But a friendship is less threatening to a marriage. A same-sex friendship is less threatening to a marriage than an opposite-sex relationship. And, and my stance on this really is that there's really no reason for a partner who's in a marriage to develop a new friendship with someone solo of the opposite sex. I, I don't even see a reason. And I am not a very conservative person. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm pretty flexible people. I'm like a live and let live kind of person, but it's a slippery slope. Now I'm not talking about friendships before. I'm mm -hmm. not talking about couple friendships, but I think that people need to be mindful of why they are developing a friendship with someone of the opposite sex that they are now confiding in because that energy that they're putting there is being taken away from their marriage. Mm -hmm. And we could say that about other friendships too, but I think it's really about when it gets off balance and off kilter for a couple. But again, it's for the couple to decide. Mm. And it's a level of awareness, though, when you catch yourself perhaps going into the trap of developing a connection with somebody else, it's actually that self-awareness to say, pause, mm -hmm. what's going on here? Mm -hmm. What is going on? Now, what am I seeking that I'm not necessarily getting from my current marriage or from my current partner? So that does take a lot of for somebody to actually catch themselves in that moment to say, oh, <laughs> come mm -hmm. on now. No, what is going on? So that level of self-awareness, I suppose, let's say, Okay, somebody who's single at the moment and they have a long-term vision of being married in the future. What work can they do now to get their marriage ready? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I so in my therapy practice over the years, and I saw the therapy practice, I have a lot of single women generally who are looking for partners and a lot of the work for that. So, so there's, there's an upside and a downside to women doing their own personal work. So okay. the the, I'll tell you the upside first, the upside is <laughs> they because they, you, you get to become really clear about what you're looking for. So I'm all about like conscious coupling. Okay. We are unconsciously drawn to partners for lots of reasons that we don't come to know until much later the conscious reasons we are usually drawn to people is like we like the way they look we like the way they speak to us we like the way we feel when we're in their presence but there's also an unconscious draw they're meeting an unmet need in us or they possess something we don't possess that we want more of in our life mm -hmm. or we think they're going to fill a void in us that we don't have so so i'm really about helping women understand more deeply what their needs are and how they're how they are going about looking for someone who actually meets those needs and what are their non-negotiables and how do you begin to articulate that and really sort of stand in your not to be hokey but stand in your power about these things because mm -hmm. gosh i would say i i'm glad i'm not part of the modern dating 
because between the apps and the, the, do I wait two hours to text them? They didn't text me yet. And I think that that creates a very anxious atmosphere for people. So what I talk to my women clients about is I really help them create and strengthen their own secure attachment. Because when we are securely attached, we don't play games. It's like, what you see is what you get. If you want to be with me, then, um, then you're going to be attentive and available. You're not going to text me three days later after I text you. So I really help women with that because attachment, our attachment style starts to form when we are babies Mm -hmm. and it's crystallizes throughout life, but it's changeable. Like that's the beauty. It's changeable. So when you have a secure attachment, you go into the dating world and the relationship world feeling very confident. Like I know who I am. I know what I want. I know what I'm going to tolerate and I know what I'm not going to tolerate. And that's, so that's the work really. That's the work. Okay. So it's equipping yourself with that knowledge. So would you say that's the downside? What's the downside to Mm. that work? Oh, the downside. I forgot. Mm. The downside is, is when you've done your own work, it's really hard to meet people who have not done their work, who've done their work. So the pool of potential mates shrinks because for someone who's done their work, it's really hard to be with someone who psychologically is light years behind you. Mm -hmm. And so these women meet these men and they say, like, this guy has no emotional intelligence. This guy has no awareness. And I'm like, I have to sort of remind them, okay, look, you've done a lot of work. So the goal here is to either find someone who's done their work or find someone who's very pliable yeah, and willing to like explore. So that's the downside is the pool shrinks. Mm, okay. That doesn't mean <laughs> <laughs> in what some people would say is quite a small pool as it is. It, 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 yeah. <laughs> yep. That's true. Yeah, the great thing is, is that is that self-awareness piece, is that self-awareness so you can really take care of yourself. And then talking about that self-awareness piece, what self-care practices would you say can help people who are either single or coupled up to you know have that healthy, fulfilling relationship? Mm-hmm. So I really uh, like for um, people to very intentionally carve out time to do sort of like what I would call their self therapy. So let's just say they're not in therapy or they were in therapy and they're done with therapy and now they're doing their own self work. So what I say is carve out time daily if you can, but if not a few days a week to, um, to spend time reading a spiritual or mindset book of your choice, personal development book of your choice for about 10 minutes And then journal for about 10 minutes so that you can integrate what has just gotten stirred up from what you read. So so this is what I do. So as a therapist, I've been in therapy a long time. It's kind of one of those things that I really feel like, you know, good therapists do their own work so they keep their pipes clean. I'm not in therapy now. I've sort of had my share of therapy, but I've moved more into doing more spiritual practice. And Mm -hmm. so for me, what that looks like is... um, I have I have a, a number of spiritual books that I'm I'm always sort of reading. And depending upon my mood, I'll say, okay, let me go to this one. And I will read for about, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever I'm feeling. And then I will write. And so it is things that really help generate 
uh, introspective thought for me, things that really tap in, because if we don't carve out the space to do that, now people could do, you could do that by meditating, you could do that by just reading, you don't, you don't have, or, or not just reading, by just journaling, you don't have to read, but for me, it's sort of the way I like to do it, but I think for people, really self-care for our psyche is about mm -hmm. carving out space to be with ourselves, to reflect, and whether we use journal prompts or meditation or a guided meditation or a book, to really be able to start to delve into that and continue to peel back those layers and be in touch with ourselves. So beyond all the traditional self-care, yeah. that for me is really a really good foundational element of being sure that we're taking care of our psyche. Yeah. And I think that personal share will impact on a lot of people as well. And they can resonate with that and take that for what it is, because there's so much power behind journaling. Myself, personally, I know the power behind just witnessing my thoughts, my feelings and my emotions on paper and turning it from the intangible into something completely tangible. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. It just completely resonates with me. So talking about a little bit of a personal share there, and you spoke about your previous marriage and the divorce that you went through. What would you say are some of the key learnings that you have had from your romantic experiences over the years? Yeah. Wow. So when I, so it took me a lot of courage to build up before I left my first husband and, um, I tapped into a strength that I actually didn't know I had. And so we're talking 25 years ago, probably. So I'm a wildly different person today. But back then at 27, when I was leaving, um, I, I actually, prior to that, had resigned myself to this is as good as it gets. So like, this is what you decided and this is what you're doing. And I, I really had to tap into a strength I didn't know I had. So one of the, so one of the lessons that came out of that was I really learned some things about myself that I didn't know were available to me. And sometimes people will talk about regretting past experiences that went on for a long time. Like, gosh, that was a waste of time. So I could look on those nine years and say, wow, that was, a, I could have like gotten on with my life sooner. Yes. But the reality is, is that it's, it's all just part of what has shaped who I am today. So one of the biggest lessons was learning about a strength that I have that, that if I could do that, and this is what I believe today, actually, because that was, probably one of the hardest decisions I had to make and then follow through with. I've had other hard experiences, but I thought if I could do that, I could pretty much put myself in any uncomfortable situation if it's for a good reason. So I, I learned about a resilience that I have in myself and I, I bounced back. And one of my biggest fears back then was really that I would fall apart. Yeah. And I landed on this book by a, psychotherapist and practicing Buddhist. The title of the book is called Going to Pieces Without Falling Apart. And it was my book for that time. It was yeah. it was the book and I just kept reading it and rereading it. And I resonated with it because as a psychotherapist, I resonated with it. But he brought in a lot of Buddhist principles, which I have really taken to, which have been really important. So I think that when, when we go through something really painful and difficult, that it's so important that we find a way to extract the lesson so that 
we're not resentful of an experience we had and feel like it was for nothing. So to me, that was probably the biggest lesson that I took that existentially, like as part of my existence and sort of shaping to who I am has been really important for like all of my sort of all of the, the then preceding life experiences that I've had. Yeah. That's a massive lesson. And I actually feel that going from feeling like I'm going to fall apart is going to land with so many people listening to this because it's a huge fear. Mm -hmm. Now, what does life look like for me going forward now from that situation? It's like, you know, do I still have that dream? And that the person might change, but you can keep the dream um, in terms of what you want that outcome Mm -hmm. to be. So I'm sure that's going to land with so many people, Carrie, what you said there. And to take that lesson and to take that as a growth experience and to move forward, which is absolutely amazing and I also love to ask my guests in terms of love what is their personal what is your personal definition of love in a romantic context so my personal definition my husband and I talk about this a lot we've been talking about it since the beginning of time it's the beginning of our time um for me it's really about the the sort of adding and enhancing to one's being, making someone's life that much better by your presence and what you offer by way of who you are. And so, you know, there's, there's so many layers to love, but for me, it's, it's, I really think about it on that kind of psychological and spiritual level and and that is really and and when i think about it that way it makes perfect sense to me why i'm no longer with my first husband because that was never going to be possible mm. that's a really beautiful explanation of love in your own eyes and how you see it through the lens of love there because that betterment for another person too is it was it kind of puts you outside of yourself too it's like a greater purpose in a way that's how I see it it's like a greater sense of purpose which I think is a lovely way to describe it Carrie this is going to bring this wonderful conversation to a close and I'm so grateful so so grateful for everything that you've shared and I know that a lot of people will leave this here with encouragement in Mm. terms of what can we do? Like if our marriage is in a state where we're not happy, there are ways forward. And, you know, it's just taking those steps. I just think it's going to give that encouragement for the singles out there too. Thinking about what can I do? Be mindful, do the work. <laughs> you can absolutely do the work. The work is needed in whatever dynamic that is needed there. Would you be so kind as to leave our listeners with at least one key takeaway that can help them along their journey of love, life and relationships? Yeah. So one key takeaway would be if you are with someone who's a good human that you once loved, give that relationship a fighting chance by going all in on making it work. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what I say to my clients. That is my personal belief, because the reality is, is Look, I've been married 19 years. It's not all been roses, right? I mean, we've had lots of challenges, but he is someone I love. He's a good human. And so that is the thing that gets us through the really tough times. So I say to people, if you have that, the work can be done. 
Thank you. Thank you for that parting note. Carrie, where can people find you? How can they contact you? Have you got any events coming up that people would be very keen to follow and find out more about? Yeah. So people can find me on Instagram, Carrie Cohen Coaching, LinkedIn, Carrie Cohen. And events coming up, I do. So I post them on my socials. I do uh, weekly uh, live workshops and then I do monthly Zoom workshops. So if people just want to check out my um, my socials for that and I have my group program, which will be launching again in January. So in the new year. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And I will be dropping Carrie's social details and links into the show notes so that you can connect with her. She's got a wonderful freebie there too that I'm sure that you'll be loving to download at your own time. Carrie, thank you so much for this conversation. I really appreciate your time and your energy today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Teresa. I appreciate it. Thank you. And for everybody who has listened to the show, I want to thank you for your time, for your attention and for your energy. And until the next episode, take great care of yourself and others too. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, make sure to check out the show notes in the description with all the important links and how to connect with and follow Teresha directly. If you are motivated and encouraged after listening to this, please follow and subscribe to this podcast. Hey, and whilst you're there, go ahead and leave a five-star rating and add a review. We would love to hear what aha moments there were for you. And you know that saying, sharing is caring. So tell your family and friends about this podcast too. So until next time, take great care of yourself and others too.